Exodus chapter 29, I'll be reading verses 31 to 43. I'm sorry, verse 32. We finished up with verse 31. Uh, we'll start with verse 32. Chapter 39 of Exodus. Thus all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was finished. And the children of Israel did all according to the Lord that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets, the covering of ramskins dyed red, the covering of badger skins and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils and the showbread, the pure gold lampstands with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its grate of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the laver with its bases, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry, to minister in the holy place, the garments for Aaron the priest, and his son's garments, to minister as priest. According to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it, as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done, and Moses blessed them. Father, we ask now that you would bless us with the ministry of your word. We would hear not as uh, from men, for Lord, I have nothing to offer or share, but you have everything to offer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's word, The Principle of Preparation. The Principle of Preparation. I think we would all agree that all of us, I don't care who you are, can grow in being better prepared. Would everybody agree with that? That we all can be better prepared for doing that which God has asked us to do. Now, certainly, most of us could look at all of our life and say, well, that's not the only area I can be better prepared. I'm not really prepared for the next hurricane. I'm not really prepared for all these other things that could happen. I'm not as prepared as I need to be for a number of things. But those other things, though they may be important, there's nothing more important than the preparations that God has told us to do, right? If you're a family, if you're, if you're a mom and dad here, you are told to prepare your house, Right? It's, it's a, your house is a little church. You're to prepare that house to be a light, to be a ministry. If, uh, if you are single, that's okay too. You're to prepare your own heart to be used of the Lord. Uh, this church, we are to be preparing the things that God has told us to prepare and for. Uh, you know, as we go to, you know, into Bonaire tonight, for example, I know all the preparation work that went into just this week, just being ready to go. You've got to get fingerprinted. To, you've got to go through background checks. All that tough stuff takes preparation before you can actually do what God says must be done. Now, everything that the children of Israel had done here, the tabernacle is not set up yet, but all the pieces are done. Does that make sense? Everything is ready. We'll get to the 40th chapter when it's actually lifted up and fully constructed. But right now, 
Everything is done. Everything is ready. All the sockets, all the utensils, all of the elements, everything has been made exactly as God commanded. We have a beautiful report here that the children of Israel, that their hearts were obedient and diligent. Not just obedient, obedient and diligent, and that all the elements needed to raise the tabernacle were now complete. And we see that they were blessed in doing this, weren't they? Tells us at the very end, and Moses blessed them. Of course, Moses is representative of the Lord here. Moses blesses them. They're blessed in doing precisely what God had asked. And you notice that it's very specific. And it says, in all that according to the Lord, in verse 32. In verse, 40, uh, in verse 32, then in verse 42, according to all that the Lord had commanded. In verse 43, then over all the work, indeed they had done it as the Lord commanded. Three times the Lord says, they did it exactly, precisely, exactly, all of it. Not partial, all of it. Partial obedience is not really obedience, is it? Not in God's economy. In our own self-justification it is, but not in God's economy. You and I, we haven't been called to build a physical tabernacle, have we? We're not called to go to the Mojave Desert and put up a tabernacle. But we are called, we are called to build up our most holy faith, aren't we? To build up our most holy faith while building and equipping our homes and the church, which is the body of Christ, to be what? Why are we built? Why do we do everything that God has told us to do? To be his lights and witnesses and to bring him glory. The same thing the tabernacle would do. It would be his witness. What is the, what is the Ark of the, test, Ark of the Covenant also called? The testimony. That it would testify of God, but it would also give him glory. And we'll see that the place will be filled with his glory. But just like the task of preparing the tabernacle, every single task we do, every single task that we do will always come back to glorifying God and that He would increase and that we would decrease. Every task. Everything works back to Him. Everything. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus, we'll get to this in the book of Luke, it's one of my favorite stories, when Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when he takes these two men who do not know that they're actually talking to the risen Christ, he takes them through the whole Old Testament and he says, all this was of me. The whole totality of everything is all about Christ. Everything we do is to his tabernacle will be raised, his glory will be magnified, and we will reflect that glory, again, to a lost and dying world that does not know the glory of God. They don't know the salvation of God. They don't know the mercy of God. Israel knew those things. They had been delivered from 400 years of slavery. They had been delivered from beatings and bondage, and now they were receiving, instead of beating and bondage, they were receiving blessing. But what was the blessing in? The blessing was in serving exactly according to the will of the Lord. Thy will be done, not their own will to be done. If you're taking notes, I've divided our text into just two sections this morning. I didn't want to bite off more than I could chew today. Uh, but we'll do two. Called and commended. Called and commended. We know that the Lord called the children of Israel out of Egypt. If you go back to when Moses was in front of Pharaoh, 
He said that I, I want to take the children of Israel according to the command of the Lord that we would go and worship the Lord. Right? Pharaoh's like, you're not going to go worship the Lord. You can worship me, but you're not going to go worship the Lord. And ultimately, God won, didn't he? God broke Pharaoh's neck, broke the chains, broke everything, smashed his army and drowned it in the Red Sea. And the children of Israel then come through into the wilderness, and God says, here's what I want you to do. I want to take a massive free will offering. I want all the people to use their gifts, their talents, and I want you to build me a tabernacle. And here's the specifications. Of course, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai. Twice he goes up, but he spends 40 days both times, and the Lord gives them the exact instructions, and then he brings them back to the people. Remember the first time he comes down, instead of uh, worshiping the Lord, they were worshiping a golden calf. They had decided they did not want to do what God wanted them to do. They would instead worship their own gods. How many of us have worshiped our own gods before God knocked on our heart and said, this must end. It's time you worship me. It's time you give your life to me. It's time you follow my instructions instead of your own roadmap. Because we all have our own road manual that we've created. We wrote it out and God says, I'm going to bundle that up and toss it. He's done it with every servant in the scriptures. But they were called out, and then God gives them a task. He calls the children of Israel. Moses calls everybody to himself and says, here's what the Lord wants us to do. Now, I think probably the people were thinking, all right, he's going to give us the marching orders to head into the promised land. Mm -mm. It's not what he did. Here, I, wonder what he's, I wonder what Moses is going to tell us. He's going to tell us, everybody pack your bads. We will be in the promised land tomorrow. And Moses, I've got some instructions from the Lord. He wants donations from all of you. Your gold, your silver. He wants you to set aside some time. He wants you to use the talents you've given, and we're going to build a tabernacle. Everyone's like, what's a tabernacle? I've never heard of one either, but this is what God calls it. It's a rectangle, and he starts to describe what we're going to build. Why are we building this? Isn't God already a, a, a pillar of cloud and uh, a pillar of fire? Do we really need? Uh, doesn't God own the universe? Doesn't he sit on every single molecule in all of expanse of, of time and space? Does he not own everything? Yes. Then why are we building a tabernacle? Because he said so. Okay. This time we'll go ahead. Last time God didn't tell him to build a golden calf, but they did. This time he says, build me a tabernacle to the exact specifications, and they do it. And what a beautiful thing it is to see. You know, we're all given commands and instructions, but we must fully hear them, believe them, embrace them, and prepare our hearts to actually implement them. Do you follow all that? We have to fully hear the instructions of God. You come on Sunday mornings... You come on Wednesday nights, you read your own Bible. In any of those scenarios, you are literally hearing God's instructions in some various form. But you have to hear them, you have to believe them, you have to embrace them, and then we have to prepare our hearts to fully implement them or actually implement them. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, remember, this is Jesus speaking, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house 
on a rock. Jesus said, I'm not asking you to just to hear what I'm saying. I'm asking you to now obey and do what I'm saying. In Job chapter 22, verse 21 and 22, he says, now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Wouldn't you like to be at peace? Thereby good will come to you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. You know the whole world's seeking for peace. They're trying to find it in pleasure. They're trying to find it in money. They're trying to find it in success. And God's saying, here are my instructions. Follow them and be at peace. I'm never more at peace than when I'm obeying Jesus Christ. How about you? You can sense it. Your blood pressure drops. The stress starts to fade. But when you're doing your own thing, you're actually worried about how to even make your own thing more fun or more beneficial or more useful or how can we get the most out of it? And the Lord says, why don't you sit at my feet, listen to what I'm telling you, then go and do what I ask you to do and do it in my strength. Proverbs, 30 verses, uh, Proverbs 31. You guys know the Proverbs 31 woman. We've, we've talked about it as it, re, as it relates to a, a faithful wife and mother, but I've told, bef- I've told you before, it also is a beautiful picture of the faithful church. The faithful church. The husband is the picture of Christ in that story, uh, and then the wife is the picture of the faithful church. And it says, she rises while it is yet night. Verse 15. Verse 16, she considers a field from her prophets. She considers a field and buys it from her prophets, and she plants a vineyard. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength. Verse 18, and her lamp does not go out by night. All of those things, if you look at each of those characteristics of things that she does that, that the Scriptures point out as well done, good things, all of those take preparation. You're, if, if you run out of oil, you weren't prepared. Jesus, does, Jesus has a parable about this, right? The wise virgins and the foolish virgins. Some are prepared, some are not prepared. To be prepared, she has to rise while it's still night. It's going to take some effort. She's going to have to gird herself with strength. But she considers a field. She considers a field. She does the math. Can we afford it? Prays over it. All this takes preparation. Abraham Lincoln said, give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. That's wisdom, isn't it? Some people toil like crazy doing their own thing, and God says, I want you to prepare, but I want you to prepare my way. When God gives the instructions, if the children of Israel just tried to figure out how to do everything. And remember, Basil, he was filled with the power of what? The Holy Spirit. When we receive God's instructions and we receive his help and his spirit, it's not burdensome anymore, is it? We then have the Lord putting air underneath us. Wings will mount up. We can do the things that he has asked us to do, even though they seem insurmountable, but we'll take that time. We'll take, four, we'll take four, six of the time there uh, to sharpen the axe and prepare because we know that when we're rightly prepared, God will then bless, which he does here. All of this work, all the elements that they build, all of the, the lampstands and the, uh, and the uh, 
the skins that were dyed different colors, and all that, that took a lot of preparation, took time. And all of those things were still preparatory, the tabernacle still not set up. There's a lot of work before another greater work, isn't there? Does that make sense? There's a significant amount of work for a greater work. And there's a lot of preparation. Thanksgiving's coming up. How many of you know that it takes a lot of preparation for the whole big family to show up at the house? You've got the shopping list. How big does the turkey need to be this year? Is it going to be 21 pounds? Is it going to be 25 pounds? Do we need the largest turkey ever? You know, all of these. Will the oven contain the turkey that we put in there? People have run into that problem before. Too big a turkey. What doesn't even fit in the oven? Preparation. But when all that preparation is done, think about a wedding as well. Anyone that's ever done a lot of preparation and a lot of preparation for a short span of time, right? But the preparation's key. I want to look at five things that the children of Israel had to walk in, but I think five things that we still have to, and then I think I know, five things that we have still have to walk in in this principle of preparation for our own lives. Five things, you can write them down. Prayer, purpose, planning, participation, and patience. Prayer, purpose, planning, participation, and patience. Now the good news is all of us can do these things. The other good news is we can all grow in them. All of us. There's nobody here that's aced all of this yet. You actually won't ace it until you get to heaven. But God will say to each of us, were you faithful and growing and going and doing these things? Prayer, purpose, planning, participation, and patience. Let's look at prayer first. The Scriptures tell us in Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain to build it. Unless we start anything through prayer, we have already missed right out of the gate. Everything must start in prayer. You notice I pray over the message. It doesn't matter that I've already prepared to teach. I still must depend. Jesus, he goes to break bread. What does he do? He prays. Goes to share the Lord's Supper. What does he do? Pray. Prayer precedes everything. Must be bathed in prayer. And when I, when I hear people tell me, I'm doing this, I'm going here, I'm doing this, one of the first things I ask them, how much did you pray about it? Sometimes I get a long pause. I, I've had expertise in this for years. That's not what the Scriptures ask us. Jesus was an expert in everything. He prayed every time. He was ne- the Jesus never said, well, I don't need to pray because I'm God. Prayer is essential. If God's told us to prepare and go do, we must do it in prayer. And, and that's where it starts. George Mueller, you guys, you've heard me mention him. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the life of George Mueller. He was a, he was a pastor, got, uh, got saved uh, in Germany. Then he comes over to England where he becomes a missionary. Uh, to England, spoke multiple languages, I believe it was five or six, I can't remember, five or six languages, went on to speak in 42 countries later in his life, but a a co-pastor of a church, but he also had a great heart 
uh, for orphans and built the famous Bristol orphanages. But uh, listen to this. George and Mary, that was his wife, they began to pray in earnest for the project. Well, the project was they had outgrown, by a great faith, he had built the first orphanage, but they had outgrown the orphanage, and they needed a new plot of land to actually expand the operation and minister to more children. So him and his wife began to pray earnest for the project. They asked God to show them how they should proceed. George also gathered some important facts so they could pray more specifically. It was good that they believed in a generous God because if they didn't, the facts may well have discouraged them. This is from one of the biographies about. They would need at least 10,000 pounds, that's British, by the way, not weight, 10,000 pounds to construct a building large enough to house 300 orphans. With the facts in hand, the Mueller spent, listen to this, the next 35 mornings praying for a sign from God that they were supposed to begin building. Each day, nothing happened. You ever been there? Look how many times we prayed for revival here. Each day, nothing happened. But George did not get discouraged. He kept praying and asking God to give him more faith to keep believing. Then on December 10th, 1845, during the during, they were actually on their knees in prayer. During the 36th morning of special prayer, they heard a knock on the door. A bank draft was delivered to the house with a note saying the money was for the building of a new orphan house. The amount of the bank draft read 1,000 pounds. It was the largest single donation George had ever received. And they knew that was the sign that God said, go ahead, buy the land, move forward. He'll take care of the rest. And, of course, the Lord did. What about purpose? We know prayer is where it all begins. What about purpose? Purpose is our commitment. You know my favorite verse. I know whom I believe in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. If I don't commit anything, there's no purpose. God's already committed everything. He committed his son, Jesus Christ, died for us, rose from the dead. He's committed everything to us. He asks us to commit back our lives to him. So, And then there's a process in life where God will keep asking for another purposed commitment, one thing after another. It doesn't end. If you're alive, there's something new God wants you to purpose to. Now, ultimately, it's the purpose of his will. It's just the, the very specific, thy will be done. But then in that, because we all have different callings, we all have different uh, things that God wants us to do, he will give us very specific things that we need to purpose to. You may never build the orphanages of Bristol, but if God were to call you to it, would you be purposed, committed? And so the Lord wants us to commit to these things. Psalm 37, 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The children of Israel would have to know. Moses might say, look, here's the deal. God wants you to build a tabernacle. Everybody says, we're in. This time, we're not going to build gold calves. We are going to do exactly what the Lord says. And Moses says, ah, gets hot out here in the desert. I'd like to be building at 100 degrees in the shade. Are you in? They say, we're in. It's going to cost you gold and silver. Are you in? We're in. It's going to be long hours. It's going to be dusty. Are you in? We're in. Okay. You're ready to obey. Here's the instructions. Because I don't think Moses, I don't think Moses was pulling a bait and switch on the people. 
It's kind of hard to do that when you're in a blazing hot desert anyway, isn't it? They already realize they're not in a palatial uh, place of comfort. They realize that in this nasty, dirty area, they're going to have to then, and God's going to miraculously bring everything they need. We don't even know where all the animal skins come from. Some of these things are supernatural, where God has to test their faith, kind of like the Mueller's, and God brings it all, but they just had to be willing and purposed to do it. How about us? Are we willing and purposed even if we can't see where the resources are, even if we can't see how we can get from A to B. But when the Lord says, are you committed? I'll take you for the ride. Amen? That God says, I will get us there. We have to be purposed. What about planning? What about planning? Here's the thing about planning. Some people are better natural planners, but everybody must grow in planning. Any farmer has to plan. Any business person has to plan. Any doctor has to plan. Any teacher has to plan. Any mom has to plan. Can you think of anything where you don't have to have a plan? Everybody has to plan. If we do not plan and prepare while continuing in prayer, again, prayer doesn't, we don't like pray at the beginning and prayer drops off. No, prayer continues through, purpose continues through. These are not one and done, they're additive. Each one builds on the next, and we don't drop the others off. We actually grow in them in unison. But prayer, if we don't plan and prepare while continuing in prayer and still purpose in our heart, the enemy will plan for us, won't he? Satan has a plan for your kids, whether you realize it or not. Satan has a plan for your marriage, and it isn't to be together. Satan has a plan for this church. It's to destroy it. He really does. But Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Isn't that great? He's got our back. Jesus has your back, but only if you're going to do what he says to do. We want his protection. We must do what he says. He says, these are the instructions. Now begin to plan. If we don't, the enemy will make a plan for us, or our flesh will simply squander time, won't it? We're good at that. We can squander time quite easily. It comes very natural. I can look back on the week. Every week I've squandered time. How about you? Am I the only one? I can look back every week and see time I squandered. And I'm, Lord, forgive me. That was a waste. But we must plan. Proverbs 24, 27 says, Prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field. And afterward, build your house. What is that saying? It says, Prioritize. And the way we prioritize is based on the Word of God. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and everything else will be added unto you. If, if Christ and His commands are not first in your prioritization in any plan, then the plan needs to be reworked, scrapped, and started all over. Every time. Well, we're going to do this. Well, is the Lord telling you to do it? Well, actually not, but I think He'll bless it in the end. That's dangerous. Make, prepare your outside work, make it fit, afterward build the house. The Lord says, hey, building the house, that might be, but I want you to prepare the fields first. Because if you don't have something to eat, it doesn't matter if you have a house. Right? And what we eat first is the Word of God. The Word of God. This ministry, by the way, will always have the Word of God at the center. Because if we can't eat the Word of God, it doesn't matter what else we have. 
If we don't have the Word of God, we don't have anything. Do you understand that? If we don't have the Ten Commandments, they don't have the Ark of the Covenant testimony there. You must have that first. Pastor Chuck set a great legacy of putting the Word of God above everything else. It's important in our own lives as we prepare and as we plan that we have first things first. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we're planning, we need to be reading the word of God. How many of you, when you are looking for wisdom on something to do, you start turning the scriptures to find God, give me a verse? And he will. And sometimes the verse is, do not. And we hate that because we had it all worked out. Lord, this would be perfect. This car would save us so much money. The gas mileage, the this, the that, the this. And God says, no, I'm going to make this other one run another two years for you. And I want you instead to give to this ministry over here. What? I'll give that after we drive this car for two years. And we can say, no, 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 we can say, I'm going to come up with a different plan, but that will not be blessed, will it? When we obediently obey and then properly plan, the Spirit will still sometimes, again, even when we've planned according to the Lord, we've prayed about it, we've read the Word, we're planning not in our flesh, we truly are planning the Spirit. Even when we do that, sometimes, and I would say often, the Lord will still alter the course. Though not the task itself. Does that make sense? He'll alter the course, not the task. In other words, the children of Israel might have planned a way that they were going to actually construct something, and they had it in mind how they were going to do it, and the Lord says, now do it over here. The sun will uh, not bother you as much, and God will actually come up. He'll perfect our plans, which is a great thing. Sometimes he does this slightly, sometimes significantly, sometimes completely God modifies our plan altogether. Proverbs 16.9 says this, you might have heard this verse. A man's, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We are told to plan. And God says, go ahead and plan according to my word, plan according to prayer, and I'll direct you. Isn't that great? That God just gives those slight kind of taps on the shoulder here, another one over here, another one over here. Says the plan's good but I'm going to make it better. That's what the Lord does as we plan. Jesus did this. You know, the disciples, they, they would come already, say, all right, Lord, we've got the fishing business covered, if you're like Peter. Uh, you know, we've got everything covered. We're ready to go on a two-week mission trip. We've got our sandals. We're ready to go. We're ready to go share the gospel with. And where are we going? We're going to Jericho today? We're going to Bethlehem? We're going to Capernaum? Jesus says, we're going to Samaria. Uh, What? We don't go to Samaria. Same task, different location. Same task, different location. God will give you a task, but at the last minute, sometimes he'll change the coordinates on you. Are you okay with that? Same task, different location. You're on your way to go do something. Say, Lord, I'm I'm giving this, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do today. And something seemingly goes wrong. But you end up exactly where God wanted you to minister to somebody. 
Same plan, different coordinates. Does that make sense? It's the way God operates. He operates that way all the time. Paul was planning to go to Asia, but says in Acts 16.6, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Was Paul outside of the will of God? Absolutely not. He had a heart for Asia, and God says, great, Paul, that's my heart, but I actually turn left up into Turkey. You know, the same thing happened with uh, Joseph. I'm sure that Joseph, after baby Jesus was born, was thinking, all right, get the family together, let's head back to Galilee. Let's head back to Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth is part of the Galilean area. And instead, the angel says, no, head to Egypt. They're still going to raise Jesus in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but different coordinates. So remember, we'll plan according to the Word of God, we'll pray according to the Word of God, we'll be purposed according to the Word of God, but we're okay for God to change and deviate. That's the, that's the willingness of us yielded to the Spirit. Are we okay as that as a church? Are we okay as that in your family? Are we okay as that individually? God will direct. He wants us to keep building, keep doing the things He said, and He'll change the course as needed. What about participation? Now Moses... His role was to oversee. It said that he uh, looked over all the work. He had to be a faithful manager, a faithful shepherd, a faithful pastor, but also, again, just making sure that they were doing that which is specified. Moms and dads, you're to be faithful managers of your home, looking over, are my children growing? Are they being nourished in the Word? Are they learning to pray? Are they learning to share their faith? Are they learning to be servants and serve in humility? All of these things are things that we oversee in the building up of our faith. Now Moses had his role to do, but the people had their role. But all of them, Moses and the people, were to give themselves fully to the work. Amen? Fully to the work, not partial. Again, they had to understand this was the work and we have to do it. We cannot know our instructions. We can't just know our instructions, pray and plan, but then not take action. What good would it be to know the instructions, to pray over, to plan, and then not do it? Boy, we've all done this many times, haven't we? Many times. I've carved out the date. I'll finally clean out that room. I'm going to do it. Then something more fun comes along. There's always next month. 18 months later... There's always next month, right? Now, we have to go back. The purpose to commitment may not have been there either, right? There's, but, you know, we do that in lots of things that, in the scheme of eternity, they really won't matter, thankfully. But spiritual things, they really will matter, won't they? If we just put off, next, next, next month we'll do a family devotion, but we never do. Next month I'll go share my faith but we never do. Next time I'll do that, but we never do. That is a different thing. We can't live that way forever. We have to say, Lord, you've told us to do these things. I know it's going to be hot out there. I know it's going to be difficult, but we've committed, we've purposed, we've prayed, we've planned. Now we have to participate. We're all to be active participants in carrying out the Great Commission. We're all to be active participants in bringing glory to God. All of us, no one's exempted. In the body of Christ. Nobody. Everyone 
is called to serve that way. Can you imagine one of the fathers in the tribes of Israel? Think about a, a real Jewish father. Can you imagine one of the fathers in the tribes of Israel telling his family, everyone's received the instruction. They all receive. All of you have the exact same Bible as I have. All of you have the same instructions. All of us, Moses gives the instructions, and I kid you not, I guarantee this probably happened, because it happens still today, and the children of Israel were no, light, no different than today's people. As a matter of fact, that's why many of them ended up wandering in the wilderness, because their hearts became hard. Most of the people at that time, heart were soft, but you can imagine that there probably were some scenarios that went something like this. A father of one of the tribes says, listen, call the fam- family meeting. Family meeting, everyone, get together. Moses has some big plans here. I really want to help, but we can't as our family. We're not going to be giving our time, talent, and treasure to this tabernacle thing. And here's why, family. As your spiritual father, we need to conserve our energy for the trip to the promised land. We need to focus on strengthening just the family. We need to hold on to the treasure that, remember that treasure the Egyptians gave us? We need to hold on to that because we're going to need that treasure when we get to the promised land so we can safely set up our home, our business, and our 401k retirement plan. And the good news is, family, everyone else will do the work. Even if it's God's work, it'll actually survive. Hmm. What kind of father would actually... Now, some fathers actually walk in that way, but they won't say those words. But really, what kind of father would say, I heard all of God's... Now, you see, all the, the kids would say, but Dad... Uh, Johnny's tent, I saw them, they're, get, they're bringing their gold and silver for making this stuff. The mom brought her bronze mirror. Well, we can't give our mirror. We're going to need that mirror. You think we're, how can we live without a mirror? We need a mirror. And then all the excuses and say, but we're going to have, and by the way, we don't have time to be building that stuff. Who's going to milk the goats? You think I've got an army of family here? Instead of saying, yes, Lord, and God multiplies our time the little boy with the loaves and fishes. He didn't say, I can't give you my lunch. What am I going to eat? Right? Now, he could have said that, couldn't he? He could have said, Lord, I would love to give you my lunch, but if I give you my lunch, what in the world am I going to eat? Instead, he got a way bigger lunch, didn't he? All the baskets couldn't contain it. When the people would say, yes, we will participate, you know, I, I got saved at one of the largest churches in America, Calvary Fort Lauderdale, huge church. And then when we went to Charlotte, I was at a very large church, Central Church of God. One thing I know for certain, God called me specifically out to a tiny little church in Charlotte, 25 people, where I began to minister there and then started a men's ministry. And, and, you know, I look back and I can tell you, one of the reasons why many people love a huge, large church, and I'm not, I'm not putting down huge, large churches, I'm blessed by, I still watch, I watch Calvary Fort Lauderdale this morning. I watch their praise and worship music. People get saved at huge, large churches. But I'm telling you for certain, many Christians love it because they can hide. They do. They realize that someone else will take care of the giving. Someone else will take care. I can come, I can receive beautiful worship. I can receive, 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 receive. And my participation is I sit there. And the Lord says, that's not the participation 
that I'm calling you to. Now, that's good early on when you're first. And again, there's, I'm, I know many uh, faithful servants at very, very large. Some of my friends are on staff at Fort Lauderdale. I have friends on staff at Central Church of God, and they do incredible. But there's also, I'm telling you, there's also the element of, you know, everyone else will take care of this. And some will then yield in some areas. Some people say, well, I'll tithe, but I won't give my time and I won't give my talent because you get my check, so that should be enough. Other people say, well, I'll give my talent and I'll give my uh, time. And God says, look, there's no part of you that I'm not asked. This all belongs to me. God wanted everyone to participate in building the tabernacle. And it would, all, it would involve all three elements that God still gives us today. God still has the same three elements, our time, our talent, and our treasure. You think about time. It takes time to build an ark, ask Noah. It takes time. It takes time to build a tabernacle, ask Moses. You've got to follow the instructions. It takes time to build a temple, ask Solomon. It took years. The apostles, they had to wait for Pentecost. It took time. They had to wait in prayer. It takes time. It takes talent, but not just our talents that we have that we can play piano or we can, uh, we can, uh, we're really good at accounting or math and all that stuff. Those things are important, and God wants us to give those talents to the ministry and to the work of Christ, but also the spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 6, having then gifts different according to the grace that's given us, let us use them. Is there anything more explicit than that verse? Let us, if you have any gift, use it. Everyone has gifts. If you're saved, you have some spiritual gifts, and if you don't know them, you need to be in fellowship, and other believers will help you identify them. The Holy Spirit will help you identify them. The Word of God will help you identify them. But you also have other gifts that should be used as well. Even a saint confined to a bed can minister as a prayer warrior, can't they? Everyone has a gift. What about treasure? Well, unless you're completely penniless, God expects all his children to give back generously of what he's given to them. Did he really, does God mean that? Absolutely. Unless you're completely penniless. We even realize um, that we have such examples. And back in the 36th chapter, Exodus 36, 6, it says, And the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work that the Lord commanded. Isn't that great? Their hearts were so given they gave more than enough. Imagine if there was more than enough for the missionaries around the world. There's not. There's nowhere near enough. Imagine if there was more than enough to really reach more people for the kingdom in Richmond. If that's, there's more than enough for the ministry, that doesn't happen often. But when it does, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, Then one poor widow came in and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. He turned and looked at the disciples and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more in more to the treasury than anyone else. She was basically, she was two mites away from being penniless, and she put them both in. And Jesus said, she gave more than all the rich guys. God's not caring about the amount that you make. He's caring about, does it all belong to him? All of your time, all of your talent, all of your treasure. There was a pastor who stood before the congregation. He said, I have some bad news, I have some good news, and I have some more bad news. The congregation got very quiet. The bad news is the church needs a new roof, the pastor said. 
The congregation groaned. The good news is we have the money for the new roof. <sighs> A sigh of relief went over the crowd. The bad news is it's still in your pockets. <laughs> what about patience? Very true, though, isn't it? But it's really not a past. It's God speaking. God would say the same thing. God would say, I need a new roof in a third world country for a church that is really reaching people for Christ. The, the good news is we have the money, church. The bad news is you still have it. That would be God speaking to all of us. What about patience? The last one here. These three three aspects of preparation. What about patience? Each of them are difficult in their own right. Each of them the Lord will help us with. Hebrews 6.12 says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith and patience inherit the promise. We want to give up a lot of times, don't we? We become sluggish. We've worked too hard. We've battled too long. And then the Lord says, but you can't quit. I'll give you the strength to move on, to press forward. I guarantee you when the people were making the elements of the tabernacle, the work got hard, got hot, got difficult. Can you imagine smelting all the gold and the heat in the desert? But everybody says, we have to finish the work. We have to finish the work. You know, we have a nation today that doesn't really finish much. We're good at starting messes. Not real good at cleaning them up, are we? That's not the body of Christ. God wants the body of Christ to be those that begin and complete. Begin and complete. They they patiently persevere. Yes, it's difficult. Your marriage will have times that are difficult, won't it? Life will have times that are difficult. Your health will have times that are difficult. Everything in life, and yet the Lord will say, patiently wait for me. The season will pass. I'll bring you through. I'll bring, but you don't give up. Jesus said, anyone putting their hand to the plow and looking back, not fit for the kingdom of God, right? We have to patiently look forward. Don't look back. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward to the high calling, right? It's a great thing to look and say, that's why it's important to have a vision. They say, look, if we finish this, what will the tabernacle look like? Lord, if if we finish the works, what will our marriage look like? What will it look like if all of our kids marry a godly spouse and have godly children to the second and third, fourth generations? What will it look like, Lord, if the vision that you've set, we follow? Instead, we settle for good when God wants us to have best, right? So often. Whose patience do we imitate? The patience of Jesus Christ. His patience is who we imitate. Listen to Jesus' life. 33 years was Jesus' life on earth. 33 difficult years to bring him to one single agonizing day. Isn't that amazing itself? 33 difficult years to bring him to one agonizing day. He had 30 years of preparation. Talk about prep time. 30 years of preparation. 40 days of fasting, temptation, and prayer just before his public ministry. Three years of continually training hard-headed disciples that would become the early leaders of the church. 
All of your leaders were former hardheads and still are in some respects. He would preach to throngs during those three years. He would heal thousands, constantly refuting the scriptures, his critics, his adversaries for those three years of public ministry, all pointing to Calvary, or also known as Golgotha, Golgotha, where he would lay down his life. 33 years of hard, patient work, following the exact, I mean the exact, how many think Jesus followed the exact plan of God? To the to the minuscule letter, the exact letter that the Father had given him. And what would he say on that day of redemption? It is finished. That's who we imitate, folks. You say, I can't complete this, Lord. He says, go back and just have faith that what I did in my lifetime, I'll do in yours. You'll not do it in the perfection of Jesus, but you'll do it in the patience of Jesus. Perfection is reserved for God. Faithfulness and patience is given as a gift to us. God determines what completion looks like. Don't worry about what other people think completion looks like. Sometimes you can worry about what will they think. Who cares what they think? Completion is in the design of God. He'll tell you what it looks like. He's our master. He's our savior. He wants us to complete the works we've been given to do. In just my last five minutes, I purposely spent almost all the time on the call. I just want to spend the last five minutes or so on the commendation. Commended. Commended. I don't know about you, but I want to be commended by the Lord. Don't seek the praise of men. Seek the praise of our Father in heaven. Amen? Man's praise doesn't get you that much. It's very fleeting. They'll like you for a while. The prodigal son found this out. He was everybody's favorite for a while, wasn't he? But commendation that you and I want is from the Lord. Every day... You and I, when you think about preparation, we want to be commended by the Lord. Remember this, every day is preparation for the next day. You believe that? Every day is preparation for the next day, and the next year, and the next 10 years. The Christian life is a series of tasks and preparation. A series. They, once you complete one, God gives you another. Most of you have seen this in your lifetime. Those of you that are seasoned in the faith, you know that task and preparation, they come in new challenges. And you're still required to walk them through in the same way. Each of those five Ps that we looked at. But these Christian, the Christian life, a series of tasks and preparation, they're to be completed under one giant umbrella, and that's to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All under that umbrella. That's why all the law and the testimony hang on just those two things. And the Lord Jesus, he wants to bless us. You believe that? He wants to bless us. He wants to commend us for faithfully completing the task. Even when we fall on skin our knees, he wants to get us back up and have us finish it. Because everyone's going to fall. But you're going to move forward in faith. Abraham was always moving forward in faith, even though he, he had some mistakes. 
Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you realize that God has prepared things before you were ever born that you must walk in? Before the foundation of the earth, God said, George Mueller, you're going to build me an orphanage. George didn't know that when he was a college partying student in Germany. He found out later. God had prepared him for that. What's God prepared you to do? If you're not following the preparation of God, doing the things he's asked, then you won't ever get to what he's really... There's things that he has. Moses would have never dreamed he would lead the children of Israel. Yet God was preparing him for it. But he had to follow the preparation. Robert Louis Stevenson said, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. It's easy to look at each individual day and say, this isn't working. Isn't it? We'll never get this tabernacle built. I cannot get this animal skin to dye red. I've tried, you know, they're just things that they were new to them, right? I've tried everything. Remelt the gold. This didn't work out. That's not, that's, no, that's, that's the wrong shape. That's, I said almond buds, folks. Almond buds. You did an orange blossom. Change it. Right? We're going to make mistakes, but keep planting the seeds. Keep praying. Keep believing. 36 days later, the knock can come on the door, right? Keep planting. For the Christian, this is especially true. Eventually, we will reap a blessing. Eventually. But our continual blessing, it's not so much in receiving It's not so much in receiving, but in being. Being what? In close relationship with Jesus. It's being, not receiving. God's not promising he's going to make you a millionaire. I know that doctrine's out there. It would be laughable if it wasn't so sad. But God's not promising you that you will be the healthiest person that's ever walked the face of the earth. You may be like Paul with a thorn in the side your whole life. But he is promising he'll be at your side and giving you rest and peace in him. That's blessing. Amen? That's the blessing. We receive the peace of God. This is the blessing. Even while we wait for God to pour out some specific blessing. Some of you are praying. I'm pla- the revival I'm praying for is a blessing that I want to see, even though I'm already saved. Right? Why do we pray for something that's... What is in it for us if some neighbor you'll never meet or even know gets saved? We're blessed because we know it blesses God. Right? We care, he gave us his heart. We care because he cares. You don't manufacture a care for people like that. God gives you a care for that. And we're blessed when God is blessed. And our hearts are calmed. The, the life of closeness and blessing of being near to Jesus, uh, it comes through simple obedience, doesn't it? Simple obedience, simple serving the Lord, doing what he's asked us to do, taking those new steps of obedience. Remember when your kid took its first steps? They're going down. Oh, they're going down. You know, back on the heel. Somehow, sometimes I, I've seen toddlers take their first steps. How in the world they stood up, I have no idea. 
defied all odds. It's like an angel said, poop, but back over here, and, you, and all of a sudden they're walking. And that's what God has us do continually, again and again. New step, new step. One of the greatest messages that had an impact on my life, uh, I was on a business trip. This is back um, probably the late 90s. Uh, I went back to Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, because I was down in Fort Lauderdale on a business trip. Didn't know that God was going to call me to be a pastor. I knew he was calling me to full-time ministry someday. I just didn't know what that looked like. And I went on a Wednesday night. I heard Frank Ramser, who's now the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga. But at that time, he preached the message that night, and I'll never forget, called The Call Before the Call. And what I have learned in life is there's always a continual call before the next call. God is having you prepare for what's next. If your roots are not deep, you're not ready for what's next. Our church has to grow deeper roots to be ready for what God will do. We'll need deeper roots for children's ministry, which is why we plan well ahead for what, uh, what we're going to do in 2014. We need deeper roots for evangelism. We need deeper roots for fellowship. All of these things require, and God sometimes will not bless what you're praying for until he determines the roots are now deep enough. The call before the call. Paul knew the whole of scriptures, and yet the Lord sent him to Arabia to get trained. Paul said, come on, I know this stuff. If it, I know the whole Bible. I've been killing Christians using it. God says, that's the reason why I've got to retrain you. You know the verse, but you don't know how to apply the verse. Now, one thing to know, God says, I'm going to bless when you're in harmony with me. The children of Israel, they had learned to adopt the heart of God over time and working at it and selflessly giving. Say, Lord, you own my time, you own my, tra- you own my treasure. And then what does Moses do? He stands and blesses them. Now, the people, I believe, were greatly greatly encouraged by that but you know the unsaved world would look at that and say that's all they got for that moses blessed them you are all blessed (laughs) the world says where's the bonus check where is the recognition where's the plaque where's the crystal what moses blessed them and then you could say to that person that struggles with never having peace it's never satisfied. So yeah, but you know what? They slept well that night. They were at rest. Moses gave them rest. God gave Mo- Remember, Moses has a special anointing. Moses blesses them. The dad back in the tent that would not give, he's worried that night about the mirror and the money and the goats and the uh, good thing we didn't waste our energy. And everyone, and the wife is saying, But their people look so happy now. They gave all, but they look happy. We're not happy. Yeah, but we're going to be way better off than them when we get to that promised land. Really? You really think that? God says, do you want my blessing or do you want your blessing? Which one do you want? Jesus, we sing this song, Jesus, you are my reward. I want to hear you say the words to me, Well done. Do you know that one of the things that really keeps me going in the Christian life, and I hope it does you, is I haven't yet heard the final well done. I mean the well done where I get to cast crown before Jesus. But regularly, in spite of all of my failures and yours too, I always get re-encouraged when I hear Jesus. I get on my knees. I make something right. I go do exactly what he said. Even if I delayed, I finally go do it. 
and I do it, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, well done. And a peace comes over me. I'm like, why do I wait so long, Lord? 